الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين استفى ما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وما ارسلناك الا رحمه للعالمين سبحان ربك رب العزه اما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم This is the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. This is definitely the month in which Sayyidina Rasulullah was gifted to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world. This is the month in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala graced the world and blessed the world with the birth and the presence of Sayyidina Rasulullah Some say the Prophet was born on 8th of Rabi'ul Awwal. Some scholars say that he was born on the 12th of Rabbilullah. Roughly speaking, that would correspond to 29th August in the year 570 AD, which is almost 1,450 years ago. However, there is no single month, nor any single day, that we will exclusively specify for the remembrance and commemoration of the life and mission and message of Sayyidina Rasulullah Nor are we here just to commemorate or mark his birth, but rather we are here to remember and commemorate his entire Sirat-i Mubarakah, Hayat-i every single aspect of his life, even before he came to this world. This is what our deen teaches us. What does it mean? Even before Sayyidina Rasulullah was born, in an amazing hadith, Sahih hadith, our beloved Nabi Akareem has told us that the very first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created was the nur of the ruh of Sayyidina Rasulullah What does it mean? That Allah ta'ala has existed since pre-eternity. Since past forever, Allahu Alam, it's unimaginable, the concept of eternity and forever. And out of all of that past eternity, past forever, there was only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala alone existed in His zat and all of His sifat. The very first creative act, the very first act of creation Intended, intentful, purposeful act of creation is that Allah SWT created the ruh of Sayyidina Rasulullah even before Sayyidina Adam was created, before Adam ruh was created, before the angels, the arsh, the kurshi, the kalam, the law, Jannah, Jahannam, Big Bang, before anything was created. The very first thing Allah SWT created was the ruh of Sayyidina Rasulullah. And from the very initial outset, at the very moment of creation, that ruh had the nur of nabuwa inside it. So that means that Allah Ta'ala began the whole process of creation 
to manifest the nabuwa of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu on earth. And that means that when Allah Subhanahu made the irada when creating him, that he was going to be a Nabi. In order to be a Nabi, you have to have an Ummah. That means at the very outset of creation, this Ummah was also the murad of, of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala and his initial act of creation. And if this Ummah was the murad of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the Nabi of this Ummah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the murad of Allah Ta'ala, then every single member of this Ummah, each and every one, you and me, were also part of the very first irada takhliq the very first intentful, purposeful act of creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Akbar. So me and you, we go way back. We may have been born in this 20th or 21st century, but Allah Ta'ala's irada for that Nabi Kareem Sallallahu to have an Ummah is the very first act of him being Khalik, the very first act of his irada. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that he ultimately does whatever he so intends. So this means this is the most primordial, the most ancient, the most fundamental, the most foundational aspect of the entire creation is Sayyidina Rasulullah that we have elevated, exalted your remembrance. Yes, we should not take it to such an extreme that we make Nabiya Kareem Sassam like Allah Ta'ala. Allah, Allah, Nabi, Nabi, Banda, Banda. This is the hierarchy. Allah Subhanahu is unique in His essence and attributes. No being, no prophet, even Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu can share and be a partner in Allah Ta'ala's Zat or Sifat. But after Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, the greatest of all creation is Imam al-Anbiya, Sayyid al-Awwaleen wal-Afireen, Imam al-Anbiya wal-Mursaleen, Sayyiduna wal-Nabiyuna, Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Abdullah, al-Mustafa al-Mujtaba, Rahmatul al-Alameen, Taha Yaseen, al-Muzammil al-Mudathir, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it is a great blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first made that ruh and that nur, much later, and nobody knows, but much later then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the ars, the kurshi, Allah ta'ala made all of the malaika, including Jibreel alayhi salam. Then Allah ta'ala made the jinn, including Iblis. Then much later after that, and only Allah ta'ala knows how long, then Allah ta'ala created Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam, his ruh and his jasad and his jism. And he presented Adam alayhi salam in front of the angels to do sajda. <coughs> then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the ruh of every single other human, including all of the rest of the anbiya. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam narrates that when Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam was living in Jannah, so one episode we know about that, right? That Iblis tricked him into eating the forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree. In hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah tells us another episode that when Sayyidina Adam was living in Jannah, all of the angels used to want to look at him. Why? Because he was going to be the sabab, the forefather of Sayyidina Rasulullah in terms of progeny, in terms of physicality, you can say in terms of DNA. So the nur of the nubuat of Sayyidina Rasulullah 
was manifested in Sayyidina Adam a.s. And all of the angels used to like to look at Sayyidina Adam a.s. Because they liked to see the traces or the signs, the alamat of the nur of Sayyidina Rasulullah in Sayyidina Adam a.s. In fact, Alama Sayyuti Rimullah Ta'ala, one of the greatest ulama, mufassirun, muhaddithin, and shafi, faqih of this ummah, he has written in one book, but this is his own call, Allahu Adam, but this is his own understanding. That when the angels did sajda to Sayyidina Adam actually Allah Ta'ala manifested the nur of nubuat of Sayyidina Rasulullah on the forehead of Sayyidina Adam due to which all the angels fell in sajda. And he suggests that the angels fell in sajda facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Actually, Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam was in front, just like when we pray salah, the imam is in front, and we make rows behind. But actually, they were doing sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, Ya Allah, first we question that why are you creating this new creation called insan, that was going to spread fitna and fasad on earth. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed them the nur of the nubuat of Sayyidina Rasulullah on the forehead of Sayyidina Adam Islam. And then the angels went into sajda, not to Adam Islam, went into sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Ya Allah, now that we've seen that incredible nur of nubuat, now we know why you were creating insan, and now we do sajda to you. Allah Akbar Kabira, Ajeeb. When you read the works of Mufassirin and Muhaddisin, the ilm of deen is opened vast in front of you. And if you just read translation on your own, you will never get such a depth understanding. What a beautiful, in-depth explanation. Answers the question of sajda to Ghairullah. Actually, it was sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Answers the question of how did the angels make this change of questioning creation of humanity as being a spreader of fitna on earth to then making that sajda. So that also comes down to the nur of our beloved Nabi Akreem sallallahu alayhi wa The nur of his nabuwa, the nur of his risala. Then when you come on this earth, when Sayyidina Adam Islam came on earth, Sayyidina Adam Islam and every single Nabi, Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us this, that Sayyidina Adam Islam and every single Nabi was given wahi revelation by Allah Ta'ala about Khatam al-Nabiyin wal-Mursaleen, about the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah And every single Nabi used to make dua to Allah Ta'ala that Ya Allah make me amongst the followers of Sayyidina Rasulullah So he is Nabiul Anbiya. Every Nabi in terms of the rest of humanity is a Nabi. But in terms of their nisbat with Sayyidina Rasulullah every Nabi is an Ummati of Sayyidina Rasulullah Then you move further in history, another special moment. Nabi Yana Sayyidina Ibrahim and he makes special dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That his own story deserves a whole conference in of itself. Hmm? Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. Allah ta'ala tells him that he should inhabit this barren valley. Bivadin ghayri zi zar'in of Makkah Mukarramah. And then first he leaves his wife, Amma Hajar anha, and his baby, Sayyidina, baby Ismail alayhi salam. And then when he comes back, then him and his two sons, they rebuild the Kaaba that had been built by Adam alayhi salam, then rebuilt by Nuh alayhi salam, and now being rebuilt by Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam with his two sons. And then he makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He makes several duas. And Allah ta'ala mentions several of these duas in Quran. He makes dua to Allah ta'ala that Ya Allah inhabit this valley with people who will be salihin, muttaqeen, pious people. Allah ta'ala send to them a leader. And what is the dua? 
Sayyidina Ibrahim Alayhi makes actually dua that Allah Ta'ala sent to them and Nabi. He mentioned four functions of that Nabi. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah used to tell people that I have come in answer to the du'as of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi Allah Ta'ala blessed Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi with this special fuzzle. Then move forward in history, Makkumukarama, the tribe of Quraysh. So this Arab tribe of Quraysh is actually descended from Sayyidina Ismail alayhi So they were the Arab tribe that were the descendants of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi Sayyidina Ibrahim through his son Sayyidina Ismail in the year leading up to the birth of Sayyidina Rasulullah many of the Ahli Kitab the Jewish rabbis the Christian priests and monks they saw signs, they saw dreams even the emperor of Rome at that time, Hilakul who's known in English, Latinizing as Heraclius of Rome, he was also from Ahli Kitab and he also was a believing, practicing, knowledgeable Christian knowledgeable of his scripture, he also was in great anticipation and he knew that the arrival and coming of the last and final prophet and messenger وسلم, is near, is imminent. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah's father, Sayyidina Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Jeeb is written about him in books of Sirah, that wherever he went before he was married, people used to stare at him out of his incredible beauty and handsomeness. And even women used to stare at him. And many women would try to woo him to win him over in marriage. And he found it difficult on his journeys and caravans of trade and his traveling between his different family members in Makkah Makarmah and Medina Manara at that time was called Yathrib and going to Yathrib, he found it difficult for himself. And in particularly there was one woman he was again a woman who knew the scripture in Makkah Mukarramah. And she used to make a lot of attempts to, that Sayyidina Abdullah should marry her. She tried to woo him, to entice him, to seduce him, you can say. And Sayyidina Abdullah, she tried directly. She would send her family members to his family. She tried to propose for him. She wanted to marry him. But he didn't marry her. Even after he was betrothed to Sayyidina Amina, even then she didn't give up. She still kept trying. Even then after the nikah took place and they were married, even then she didn't give up. He used to be amazed. that now that I'm married, all the other women have given up. But this woman still, and he used to try to stay away from her neighborhood. One day, sometime after he was married, he had to pass by her area. And he knew and he was wary and cautious that this woman, she's still after me. And sure enough, she came out of her house and she came towards him. But when she came towards him, all of a sudden she let out a big scream and she started crying and she ran back into her house. So he was surprised at this behavior that always she has tried to say some words to me to entice me, seduce me. And today she has let out a scream and is crying and has run back to her house. So he said, let me ask, what is this new behavior? So he knocked at her door and he asked her, said, what has happened today? And she said that, oh Abdullah, she said to the father of Sayyidina Rasulullah, oh Abdullah, I'm a woman who has knowledge 
of the previous religious scriptures. And therefore I knew that the last and final prophet messenger is yet to come. And I also have been waiting in anticipation for his coming. And when I first saw you, I perceived, I saw through my basira, the nur of Nabuwa in your forehead. So I knew that this last and final Prophet is going to come from your line. And that's why I wanted to be your wife. Because I wanted this honor and this it for myself also. That by marrying you, then the last and final Prophet would come from my line. But when I saw you today, I saw that Nur of Nabuwa has left you. And therefore I screamed and I cried. And now I have no more interest in you. So then he says that this is how I realized that my wife was pregnant. Because at that time there wasn't any pregnancy test. And right? He says from this woman telling me that the light of Nabuot has passed onward, I realized that this light of Nabuot has now entered my beloved wife, Sayyidina Amina and she is now expecting child. And that child is going to be this last and final Prophet that this woman is saying. This is why the ulama say that Sayyidina Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu did have imam because he believed that woman and he believed that the child who was in the womb of his beloved wife was going to be the last and final Prophet sallallahu Hence he passed away in a state of imam. This was important I wanted to highlight because <coughs> unfortunately some of the university educated youth have been exposed to such deception and such fraud and such false allegations on our Nabi Kareem Sallallahu to even raise this question hmm? that his father never met him so how could he have been an Imam? This is how the ulama determined that Sayyidina, Sayyidina Abdullah the father of the Prophet did have Imam because from this moment he had Iman and he took great care of his wife. And Sayyidina Abdullah's father Sayyidina Abdul Muttalib means the grandfather of the Prophet was also alive. Now, Sayyidina Abdullah he was a tradesman. So he went one year to Syria and Palestine on trade. And then when he came back, on the way back, he stopped in Yathrib Medina Manorah because his own grandmother, his maternal side of the family was there. In that very same year, the event took place which is known as the year of the elephant. This is when Abraha the king of Yemen, he wanted to build a rival to Makkah And he built a grand palace with marble and rubies and Allah knows what. And then there was some person from the Arabs of Makkah who, out of pride for the love of Kaaba, he went to Yemen and he desacralized or defamed that place. And that made Abraha angry. So then he decided to bring an army of elements, elephants towards Makkah now when he brought his army of elephants, there was an initial skirmish on the border. And who other than the father of the Prophet, the, grand, uh, the grandfather of the Prophet, Sayyidina Abdul Muttalib, was one of the leaders of the Quraysh at that time. And in that skirmish, he lost a hundred of his camels. But he was so courageous, so bold, he went right to the camp of the king and demanded to meet Abraha. When he met Abraha, he said, I've come here, I demand that you give me back the hundred camels. So Abraha was amazed. He says, you're worrying about your camels Aren't you worried about your Kaaba that I've come to destroy? And Abdul Muttalabi said, No, I have no worry about the Kaaba you've come to destroy because the Kaaba has a Lord and caretaker who will protect it from you. I am the caretaker of my camels, so I come to protect my camels from you. 
Now, Abraha was very arrogant. He said, take your hundred camels and see what I do to the house of your Lord. This establishes that Abdul Muttalib also was a muwahid, also had iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of you know the rest of the story that Abraha, he came and Allah ta'ala had birds who sent down small stones. Uh, people earlier couldn't understand that. Mean you can understand it's called a bullet. It's called a bullet. And those small stones that Allah Ta'ala had the angels drop, Allah Ta'ala increased the power of gravity so that those small stones fell down on the soldiers of Abraha the way bullets would come down as if fired from an automatic machine gun. So that army was annihilated. Now Abdul Muttalib was a major person in that battle. But at the same time, his son Abdullah happened not to be there. The father of the Prophet was in Medina Manawra. And the father of the Prophet passed away in Medina Manawra at that same time, even before Sayyidina Rasulullah was ever born. So in this first aspect, Sayyidina Rasulullah was an orphan in the extreme sense that he never got to see even his father, never got to know his father. His father never even cast a single gaze on him. He was an orphan. Who raised him then? So he was raised basically by three women. First his mother, Sayyidah, Amina, radiallahu anha. Second, Sayyidah Halima, radiallahu anha. And third, Sayyidah Umm Ayman, who was the Khadma of Sayyidah Amina, radiallahu anha. These three women raised Sayyidina Rasulullah in childhood when he didn't have a father. This also history shows us incredible great role that women play in the upbringing of humanity the incredible role of a mother of a foster mother of a caregiver the importance of caring for children and especially the importance of tending to orphan children so in the beginning then when Sayyidina Amin she gave birth to the baby then amongst the Arabs at that time there was a tradition and that was that the Arabs of Makkah would give their babies for wet nursing and caretaking to the women of Taif. And Taif, if you go now, it's just a couple of hours by car. But at that time, it was a few days, probably two, three days by camel. And every year, the women of Taif would come to Makkah the women who were wet nursers, and they would try to take some baby with them. So from those women of Taif, there was a woman by the name of but she was relatively more poor than the other women and therefore her camel was very slow and she also set out with everybody else but because her camel was slow she got to Makkah at the very end and when she got there at the very end she was sad because she knew that all the noble lineage wealthy families of Quraysh would have already given their babies away to the women who had come earlier and they would obviously get better compensation, salary, because those, those babies were from more high-bred families. And now she will have to look for anyone who was left. And it was the truth, because Sayyidina anha, her husband had passed away. She was living in a very meager way. She was not a well-off woman. And they were living in a very humble way. So when she came and she saw the way they were living, first in her heart she got sad. That, okay, now this family is going to give me their baby. Clearly they are not so well-off. But when she says that when I saw the baby himself, when my first glance fell on that baby, my heart knew no limit to joy. I was so happy that this is the baby that I'm getting. And I was so happy that I came late. And I gladly took 
a much, much discounted rate because they were not people of Allah's means. And I said, I will take this baby with me back to Taif and I will lovingly, happily, joyously care for him and wet nurse him. So she took him back. Immediately, things started happening. <coughs> First, what happened was <coughs> is that her camel went back in a very fast speed. The camel all of a sudden became healthy and vigorous and fast. The same camel who came very slowly was able to go back very quickly. Then, actually even before that, when she sat on the camel, her husband had come with her. So they had decided that they would put the baby in between them for more protection. The husband in front, baby in middle, and Ummah Halima Badilatana in the back. The camel refused to move. And they kept trying, kept trying. And these are people who tend to camels. They know how to coax the camel. The camel refused to move. Then the husband had an idea. He said, maybe there's something about this baby. Let's try to put the baby in my lap. It means the baby will be in front, then me, and then you. And they did that. And then the camel got up and was ready to go. So even the camel realized. And immediately when she saw this, the response of the camel, then the speed of the camel, and already she had seen, and because she would also a pious rule, she had seen, she may not have been able to understand exactly what she saw, but she saw Nur and and she knew that the baby she had was something special. So then she took the baby back with her to her place, which is actually slightly near Taif. Slightly near Taif. And she started wet nursing baby Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa She narrates that in the time that she had the baby Paltasam with her, she saw many amazing things happen. Obviously, one day is too short to talk about the entire seerah of the Paltasam. One or two small incidents. She had her own daughter, real, her own blood daughter. And her daughter, and she had uh, her daughter used to herd the goats. One day her daughter said that, oh mother, it's too tiring for me. I can't herd these goats on my own. When I take them out, one of them goes this way, one of them goes that way. So the mother said, well, what would you like me to do? Would you like me, your old mother, to come and help you? She said, no, I want you to let this baby come with me. She said, oh, my daughter, how is this baby going to help you herd the goats? She says, no, mother, don't you remember that once you gave me the baby because you need me to take care of him? And when I took him, every single goat behaved perfectly Every single goat themselves went and grazed and ate grass. And then they all gathered in a circle. And they would all stare at the baby in my lap. And I also spent the whole time staring at the baby in my lap. So if you send this baby with me, it becomes very easy for me. Then when Sayyidina Rasulullah was around three years old baby, then Ummah Halima radiallahu her son, he came back one day in a state of worry. He said, oh my mother, something strange has happened today. She said, what my son? She said that you gave me baby Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa I was looking after him. And then two men in white, they came and they took the baby away. And they took the baby away and they opened up his breast. And they started washing something. And I'm very terrified of what I've seen. So Umm also got worried that she looked at the baby. But there was no mark on him, no scar on him. So she was a bit surprised. And she examined the whole baby. The only thing she saw was that same Muhrin Nabuat, this beautiful mark in between the shoulder blades and the back of the Patazan. But that was there since birth. But at the same time, she knew her son was honest and trustworthy. So she consulted her husband. Husband said, look, I don't know, something strange has happened. And indeed, this baby has always been a very special baby. 
maybe it is better, it's time that we return him to his mother. So then Ummah Halima and her husband, they took baby Sayyidina Sam back to Makkah Mukarramah, back to Sayyidatana Amana radiyatana. This was before, ahead of schedule. So she was a very clever woman. She asked, but why have you come earlier? And first they tried not to say anything, but she said, no, 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 something must have happened. So then they told her the whole story. She said that, oh, this means, and then they told her all the stories. So then she said that, oh, this means my baby is something special. My baby is someone special. Okay, good. You brought him back. You give him back to me. So this was around when Sayyidina Sussam was three years old. Then when Sayyidina Sussam was three to six, so many of us also remember things from when we were five years old, six years old. During this time, <coughs> Sayyidina Amina radiallahu ta'ala anha also witnessed many miracles. And she would tell these things to the baby Prophet She would now talk to her only child in the world. And she would talk to the Prophet And later on he would narrate these things in hadith. That my mother told me this happened when she was pregnant with me. My mother told me this happened when I was with Halima Sadir Vidatana. My mother told me this happened when I was a toddler with her three, four, five years old. And when Sayyidina Rasulullah was six years old, she, his mother thought, okay, let me take him from Makkah Makarmah to Medina Manawra, which was called Yathrib. Let him see the resting place of his father. He had never met his father. Let me at least point out to him the grave and resting place of Sayyidina Abdullah So he went there with his mother to see the resting place grave of his beloved father. Then on the way back to Makkum his mother, Ummah Nabi Akrim Sayyidina she fell ill in the desert. She fell ill in the desert. And then she passed away from that sickness in the barren desert. Now at the tender age of six, with no father, traveling with his mother in the desert, only with Ummah Ayman, another woman, who is the Khadama of his mother. And she fell ill and then she passed away in that illness. And she is buried still to this day in a place called Abwa, which is near Jaffa and Rabig. <coughs> now if we can imagine this scene. First imagine what would have gone through the heart of his mother. Because she didn't die instantly. She had an illness and she passed away. And she knows I'm leaving this child who's only six years old, who has no father to tend to him. It's just me and this Khadama, and I'm about to pass away. He has so many needs, so much dependency, food, clothing, shelter, rearing, upbringing. Can you imagine how heavy her heart must have been at the passing, at her own passing away, that she's leaving behind such a young boy? Allah Akbar. And this is the second time Sayyidina Rasulullah is going to become an orphan. This is now the completion of his becoming a yatim. And can you imagine him, a six-year-old boy, who has never known his father, and has to watch his mother fall ill and pass away from that illness in the desert, with no one to bury her except Ummah Ayman and this young six-year-old boy. Allahu Akbar Kameera. What a condition Allah Ta'ala raised Sayyidina Rasulullah What a yateen. Allahu Akbar. But this was the wisdom of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala wanted to show the world that Sayyidina Rasulullah is not going to achieve the greatness of his Nabuwa because he has family support, father support, mother support, wealth, power, prestige, government support, king support, none of that. He's going to be raised up alone without any support whatsoever. Of now, at six years old, then uh, Umm Ayman 
she took Sayyid Nabi Akram to his grandfather who was still alive, Abdul Muttalib. So Abdul Muttalib took great care of him and loved him like he loved his own son, his own grandson. But then when Sayyidina Rasulullah was eight, means just two years later, then now his grandfather Abdul Muttalib passed away. Then he was entrusted to his father's brother and his uncle, Abu Talib, and his wife, Fatima, his aunt, Fatima. Sayyidina Rasulullah narrates, that my aunt took better care of me than she would take care of her own children. Abu Talib was also poor and they had little food at their home and he narrates that my aunt used to feed me first and feed her children second. And it's because of honoring the love that his aunt gave him that Sayyidina Rasulullah named his first daughter Fatima after his aunt. This shows Rahmatullah al he used to honor the people who honored him. He used to love and be thankful for the grace that was done on him. So he named his first daughter Fatima. Sayyidatuna Fatima is named after the wife of Abu Talib who was the aunt and took great care of Sayyidina Rasulullah Now because Abu Talib was poor, Sayyidina Rasulullah had to earn also. He used to earn by grazing goats. He was a shepherd. And... Once the Sahaba, later on, just to show you Hadith, the Sahaba were with the Prophet This is much later now. Sahaba were with the Prophet and they were traveling somewhere. And Sayyidina Sussam stopped by some trees in the wilderness and told them, Alayka bil aswad, that you should go and pick the black berries or the black fruits. So Sahaba said we were surprised that Sayyidina Sussam knew that in this wilderness, in this wild tree, the wild fruit, the one that is edible is black. Sahaba narrated that it's at this time we realize that Sayyidina Rasulullah used to live off the wild. He used to forage for food in the wilderness. He used to travel and search for edible fruit. And you know this place, even today if you go on the bus ride from Makkah Makarma to Medina Manorah, you will see that even today it is barren, desert, without trees, without fruit without vegetables, without water. Hmm? And can you imagine what it was like 1450 years ago? So Sayyidina Sussam lived off the land. He used to randomly try to find berries and fruit from few, one few scanty trees that existed. And he knew the land. And Sahaba learned that that day. That even Sayyidina Sussam knows which is the fruit that we can eat. Then when Sayyidina Sussam was in different historians mentioned, either he was 9 or 12 years old, <coughs> His uncle Abu Talib, his uncle Abu Talib took him with him on one of his journeys for trade. And on that journey, the famous incident happened when he met Bahira, the monk, the Rahib of Christianity. And when that Rahib, he saw Abu Talib in the group, he was searching for someone. He said, is every one of your group present? And they said, no, there's one boy, he is just over there. He said, no, no, call him also. So when he called the boy, Sayyidina Rasulullah then the monk said, Oh, this is the one. This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one I've been searching for. This is the one I've been praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I should remain alive long enough that I can witness Khatam and Nabi Muhammad Salim. And then the monk, he prophesied, he predicted the nubuat of Sayyidina Rasulullah to his uncle Abu Talib and all of the delegation of Arabs that were there. Then when Sayyidina Rasulullah went back and he grew up now in his teenagers, he was known as As-Sadiqul Amin. Even Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, all of Quraysh, all of Makkah Makarama, 
This is how they would call him. As-Sadiq al-Amin. The true one, the trustworthy one. They would deposit their amanat, amanat with him, their trust with him. And he used to go into seclusion. Khalwa. <coughs> In the cave of Hiram. And he narrates that this wasn't for one or two days. Sayyidina Rasulullah used to go for months at a time. When he would go to the cave of Hira, he would go for one, two months and then come back and then earn and then again go to the cave of Hira and then again come back and then earn through trading, through grazing and herding goats and flocks. And what was he doing in those one or two months? Just the same thing that Alta mentions in Quran that this beautiful, blessed youth known as Ashab al that they saw that there was a, they were living in a society which they saw was distant from Allah Ta'ala, was filled with disobedience from Allah Ta'ala, was filled with immorality, hmm? profanity, filled with lack of haya, lack of decency. So those blessed, pious youth, they also withdrew from that society and they went to a cave. Just like that, Sayyidina Rasulullah the most pious young man in the history of humanity, the most noble teenager in the history of humanity was disturbed by the society of jahiliya, the society of murder, mayhem, vengeance, blood feuds, oppression of women, and he would be disturbed by that. Not only for the sake of kasbe halal, earning risk, he used to engage in the society and herd the goats in trade. The second he had enough risk to last him some time, he would withdraw from that society in seclusion and khalwa in the cave of Hira. And there what would he would do? He would simply sit and reflect because he knew he was Hanif. He knew in his heart the existence of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. He would simply sit there in tafakkur, in fikr, in dhikr, in muraqabah, in reflection on the existence of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Then at the age of 25, he got married. First time, Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidatana Khadija al-Kumra radiyallahu ta'ala a woman who was much older than him, much older than him, a woman who had been previously married. This shows that Sayyidina was, and, and a woman who he himself did not pursue and he did not propose to, but she was a businesswoman of the time and he had been so true and trustworthy and she was getting old and weak, she wanted to hand over her affairs to him, but she knew that he is such an honest, pious, modest young man that if I hand my affairs to him, and want to work with him and manage him so there will be a level of interaction required and this is such a pious young man he will never engage in that level of interaction with me so better that I propose to him so she offered herself in marriage to Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sayyidina Rasulullah accepted just out of kindness to her to accept her grace to do khidmat it shows that as a young man Sayyidina Rasulullah had no material lustful physical interest in women at all he was absolutely uninterested. He had reached the age of 25, completely uninterested. Now an older woman, much older woman, and at that time it wasn't average life expectancy, it was 72. At that time she would be considered a senior citizen. A senior citizen previously married offered herself, he said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Means he had a completely different understanding of marriage. This is the answer again to the young men and women who study at universities who may have been Again, deluded and deceived by false propaganda. This is the history of the Prophet Not interested. Getting married, just a marriage of convenience. But yes, it became a marriage of tremendous love. 
it became a marriage of tremendous support. And this was also a great karam and fazl of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Allah ta'ala bestowed him with such a noble, pious, supporting, loving, caring wife. Like Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidatina Khadija Al-Kubra radiallahu anha. Now we fast forward at the age of 40. After being married to her for 15 years. Then this was continued to be his practice. Even though he was married. And even though he was earning for her. Still when he would have enough earnings for him and his wife. He would go to seclusion in the cave of Hira. He would still withdraw. Why? Because society was still corrupt. The society was still the society of Jahiliya. Notwithstanding that he himself was married, he would still want to move away from the evil and corruption. He would palpably feel that sensitive heart, that heart that is asadikul amin, that heart that is true and sincere. How could it bear to witness the level of Jahiliya that is on that society? So he would reclude, go into recluse, seclusion, itikaf, khalwa, into the cave of Hira. Then all of you know, when he was 40, he received the first wahi, Sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Imam al-Malaika, the greatest angel Jibreel alayhi salam, and the first ayah of Quran that was recited, Iqra bismirabbikaladhi khalaq. Ab Iqra, even the very first word, amazing, because Sayyidina Sussam cannot read. It means both read and recite. Hmm? Sayyidina Sussam didn't know what to do. The angel Jibreel hugged him, clasped him once, clasped him twice. Clasped him three times. All three times gave the same book of Iqra. Bismi Rabbikalladhi Khalaq. Sayyidina was overwhelmed by this experience. And he was also unlettered. Ummi. Not literate. Not studied. Alhamdulillah Sayyidina in his entire life was never the student of anyone. In his entire life he was never the student of anyone. Teacher of all and student of none. Teacher of all creation and student of none except that one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu And then he came back and he went obviously first to his beloved, loving, caring, supporting wife, Imam Bukhari al-Muta'a's long hadith explaining this incident of first revelation. And he went back and the very first thing his wife did was she accepted Imam. First person to accept Imam. First woman to accept Imam. Hmm? Again, you see the incredible role of women in the life of Sayyidina Rasulullah. First his mother, then Umm Ayman, then Halima, anhunna, and now his blessed, beloved, noble wife, Sayyidina Khadija Tukubra. Four women now thus far who have played such a special role in Sayyidina Rasulullah's life. Just the role of these women that Allah Ta'ala gave them shows the true spirit of gender in the deen of Islam. <coughs> and then she supported him. And she said, no, no, you shouldn't fear. And then Allah Ta'ala said, more wahi, ya ayuhal muzammil. Hmm? He goes, why? Because he told her, zammiluni, zammiluni, enshroud me in the shawl, wrap me in the shawl. He was shivering. He was in the shivers out of this experience of wahi. Now all the way from cave of Hira, all the way back down the mountain, back to his wife, he still was shivering from the experience. Allahu Akbar. Means Allah, Allah, and Nabi, Nabi. Hmm? The azmat and jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
the azmatin jalal of receiving even one ayah of a wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was such a shivering experience for Sayyidina Rasulullah Allahu Akbar to me. So then he was shivering and his wife and shattered him. Allah ta'ala again called him later. Oh, you Muslim. He says, Muhabbat, Khitab. You were enshrouding yourself, shivering hmm? out of awe of my tremendous nature and my tremendous wahi upon you. Allahu Akbar. Khair, so she accepted Iman and she counted out to him his great qualities that you do sila rahim, you are the one who uh, mends the hearts and joins the hearts and you are a person of caring and compassion and gentleness. So Allah Ta'ala has sent you this for a great, this revelation for a great exalted reason. She meant, don't worry that you can't read. Don't worry about that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of everything. Allah Akbar. In the first moments of iman, such tawakkul Allah, such yaqeen, such iman bil ghayb, O mu'mineen Sayyidatina Khadija to kubra radiyallahu showed. Allah Akbar. May Allah ta'ala enable every woman and wife to be as supporting to her husband. May Allah ta'ala enable every husband to be blessed with such a woman and wife. Alhamdulillah. Allah Akbar. Then, first man to accept deen of Islam, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And first child to accept deen of Islam, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now Sayyidina Sussamit shared this experience and this first and few verses of revelation have come down now. Shared it with few of his close circle, close friends, close family. Then Allah ta'ala sent another revelation. Allah Akbar. Ya ayyuhal rasul, balik. That, oh, Nabi Kareem, so some balig, now you must do tabligh, dawah. Now it's not enough to just tell your close circle, your wife, your relatives, close friends. Now you must openly broadcast this dawah to tawheed, to risala, to akhirah, to all of humanity. That's a big burden. Allah Akbar. Big burden. But Sayyidina Rasulullah obviously obeyed Allah Now he started proclaiming the message. Proclaiming it openly in Makkah Mukarramah, in Mina, in the different festivals and fairs and carnivals and trade festivals that the Kuffar of Quraysh used to have. And then there was a hue and cry. Then the enemy, the Mushrikeen, Kuffar, leaders of Quraysh and Ahli Makkah, they got upset. They got angry. What happened to this person? He's all of a sudden inviting people to believe in Allah Ta'ala and to leave our idols then he's claiming himself that he's the prophet and the leader. And we are the leaders. Hmm? So when Sayyidina Sussam started proclaiming the message openly, then Allah Akbar began a chain of oppression, persecution, prosecution that would last for decades. First, they would target Sayyidina Sussam himself. In one incident, the kuffar of Makkah they raised, they rushed the Prophet trying to violently accost him. Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was in their way. And he took them all on such that they turned all of their anger against him and they beat him to a pulp. They beat him unconscious. And it's narrated that when he was carried away back home, when he regained consciousness, the very first thing he asked, that how is my Nabi Akrim The second he regained consciousness, he was worried that what about my Nabi Akrim is he okay? Was I successful in protecting him from this mob, this wild, violent mob? Can you imagine how wild people must be to attack the most beautiful creation, the greatest human being, 
the nur of Nabuot of the Prophet hmm? They must have been crazy, wild, rabid mob. Hmm? Then, one by one, began a series of violent persecution. First woman to be martyred just for her deen, Sayyidatina Sumayya radiallahu ta'ala anha. This is a woman. A woman. But she was tortured. <coughs> tortured, beat by Abu Jahl. Tortured so much that literally he tortured her to death. Allah. First woman to become shaheed in deen of Islam. Can you imagine the cruel nature of these people? Hmm? And even a woman is following Sayyidina Rasulullah they torture her. And it's a very graphic way he tortured her. And then when he killed her, he drove his spear into her most delicate part. And that's how he killed her. Now can you imagine the heart of the Prophet and what must he have felt when he heard the news that his mu'mina, his ummatiya, his follower, his believer, the believer in Allah Ta'ala, one of the earliest women of Makkah Makarama, after his beloved wife, to accept the call of Iman, Sayyidatana Samayyar radiallahu ta'ala anha, she was tortured in such a way. Can you imagine what would have happened to the heart of the Prophet upon hearing this news? And all of you know the story of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala an. And exactly the same story, by the way, of another Sahabi, Sayyidina Khabbab radiallahu ta'ala an that they were tortured by being laid flat on blistering hot rocks in the heat of the summer day. When Sumaya was being tortured, she would tell Abu Jahl, that Abu Jahl, you can take my life 1,000 times, I will never leave the Messenger of Allah. And when Bilal was being tortured, he kept saying, Ahad, Ahad, Ahad. They kept torturing him, renounce your God, believe in Lat and Uzat. He said, Ahad, Ahad, the one Allah, one Allah. Then when Sayyidina Umar he saw the back of Sayyidina Khabab, he started crying. He said, Ya Khabab, I've never seen scars like this. I've never seen wounds like this in my life. How did you bear it? He used to cry, Sayyidina Umar. Such a jalal, such a brave, courageous. He cried when he saw the scars on the back of Sayyidina Khabab. So imagine then how much Sayyidina Umar must have cried. Hmm? But he kept calling, kept preaching, kept inviting, and they kept persecuting, kept torturing. In fact, later on, there's a Sahabi Sayyidina, Abdullah ibn Umar, ta'ala the great son of the great Umar ibn Khattab. One Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar was sitting with some Tabi'in, and there was an Iraqi Tabi'in. And he was sitting with him and he was out of sincere love saying that, Oh, you're so lucky. You got to be a Sahaba. Hmm? I wish he was Iraqi Tabi. He said, Oh, I wish I had also been, Allah Ta'ala blessed me to also be Sahabi. Abdullah ibn Ur said, No, 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 no. You don't know. You don't know what trials and tribulations and what difficulties we went through. You don't know if you would have had that level of Iman to stand this. Maybe you would have given up your Iman under such torture, such oppression, such persecution. You would have struggled to retain your Iman. It was such a difficult time for us. Oh. So again, why did Allah SWT decree that the early Muslim community would have such a tough time? Because Allah Ta'ala wanted to set the foundations of deen on Iman, on Yaqeen, on Tawakkul. No wealth, power, prestige, kings, supports of governments, nothing. 
just the pure, raw iman and yaqeen of Sahaba Ikram. That's the foundation of Deen Islam. That early, this is why there's the fazilat of the muhajirun over all other Sahaba, Sayyidina Rasulullah Because they were the early community. They took iman and Makkah Mukarama. Then all of you would know then in Sirah that the kuffar of Makkah Mukarramah then they confined Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba Karam in a valley you can call economic sanctions you can call it social boycott and this lasted for one year and another year for two years Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba Karam lived in such a condition disowned by their own people disenfranchised by their own people exiled from their own homes Allahu hmm? Akbar. It became so difficult that some Sahaba they migrated to Abyssinia, now called Ethiopia, because there the ruler, Allah Ta'ala, give him infinite reward always and forever. The Nijis, the ruler of Abyssinia, he also knew that there was a last and final Prophet Mehter Sassam to come. And he happily accepted the Nabuat of Sayyidina Sassam. And he happily hosted those Sahaba Ikram who had to flee the difficult circumstances. So you have that example in history. It's not just Khusro of Persia and Heracle of Rome who denied the Prophet ﷺ. Heracle of Rome even accepted the Nubu'a. There's a long hadith in Bukhari Sharif. In fact, that's very interesting. At the time of this Makkan period, when Sayyidina Sassam was having such a difficult time, and then later, even when they go to Medina Manawra, they have such a difficult time. But... Sayyidina Sallam writing letter to Heracle of Rome, writing letter to Khusro of Persia, inviting everyone, all humanity, to accept Iman Tawhi. <coughs> then Allah SWT inspired Sayyidina Rasulullah that now it's become too much. Now you won't be able to stay. Now you have to leave. Where will you go? There were some people from the city of Yathrib who had accepted Iman. Who had already accepted Iman, had become Sahaba. Had come and give bayat to Iman to Sayyidina Rasulullah And they had invited the Prophet Ya Rasulullah why are you living in such a difficult state, in such a state of repression? Why don't you come to us? We will offer our whole city to you. We will open up the whole society, city of Yathrib to you. Now initially, Sayyidina Rasulullah did not accept their offer because he didn't want to leave Makkah Mukarramah. Partly because he was given this task by Allah Ta'ala. He wanted to do da'wah. He didn't leave. Then he said, okay, let me try another place. He went to Taif. All of you know that incident. Especially people of Pakistan know that incident. So he went to Taif. Some hadith say he went alone. Some say he went with one khadim. And he walked if anybody has gone, alhamdulillah, we've gone by car from Makkah Makkah to Taif. Very hilly, twisty, topsy-turvy route. So imagine Sayyidina Susan, that his own people of Quraysh have rejected him. Majority. Majority of Ahl Makkah have rejected him. Now he's thinking that, no, I have some nisbat with the people of Taif. That I go to Taif because there's one woman there, my wet nursing mother who was from Taif, Umm Halima, radiallahu So I have nisbat with the people of Taif. Maybe they will accept me. So he went all the way to Taif. And he gave the people of Daif, Taif Dawa. And all of you know, no one person accepted. Can you imagine how much hurt the Prophet 
that my own people apne my own makam karma that's majority not accepting me now I go to taif and not one person accepts me and then again prosecution persecution violence attack stones being thrown allah akbar so then when he came away from taif he made a beautiful dua beautiful dua to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this khulasa says this that ya allah if you are razi with me then i can take anything i can take any persecution any oppression but ya allah if all of this is happening because you are not razi with me that somehow i have failed you in this mission and message of nubuwwat ya allah i ask you and beg you for your mercy how much fikr he wanted to be successful apparently obviously he was successful but he wanted to connect humanity to beloved allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then when he came back from taif to makkah mukarramah that's when allah ta'ala blessed him with miraj that sayyidina's heart was so sad so it's when he returned from taif to makkah mukarramah and then he lay down allah ta'ala took him on isra and miraj all of you know that incident as well first isra ratasan buraq lightning fast horse and that lightning fast horse carried him to baitul muqaddas and sayyidina sussam himself narrated about this incident as well in a sahihi that first he was taken to medina munawwara and when they were passing over medina munawwara angel jibril told him that this is going to be your ultimate place so he said okay let's stop they prayed salah there then again they went to uh, al khalil which is today called hebron the resting place of ibrahim alayhi salam they prayed salah there they went to bethlehem they said isa sam they prayed salah there and then they ended up in baitul muqaddas when he came to baitul muqaddas allah taala had gathered the arwah of all of the anbiya and they were sitting there in safuf like the person waits for the imam to come for salah and sayna rasulullah isa salam he led all of the anbiya in salah allah akbar so every nabi practically also amalan became his ummati every nabi previously was his muttaqid had aqida in him but now every nabi amalan practically became his ummati at this point five times prayer was in fard but the fatim had been taught prayer and there were prayers once a day twice a day but five times wasn't fard yet then you know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took sayyidina sussam up on the miraj up to the seven heavens and angel jibril aisam was the tour guide of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the escort of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sent by allah taala to personally escort and tour the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in that miraj <coughs> sayyidina rasulullah sallallahu saw many things in jannah and he was also shown many things in jahannam he was shown in jahannam because now when you enter when you leave the physical universe now time and space have no meaning time and space are aspects of the physical known created universe that was started by a process called big bang here allah has taken sayyidina up transcending the boundaries of known time and space to a different realm altogether that's why sayyidina was able to see certain scenes of jahannam that from our perspective are going to happen in the future he saw members of his ummah being punished and he would ask angel jibril But why are these people being punished this way? And it was because they did this sin. Why are these people being punished this way? Because they did this sin. He saw the punishment of the people of Zina. He saw the punishment of the people of Takabur. He saw many things. And he also saw many things in Jannah. He saw the stores, treasures, delights, rewards in store for the people of Jannah. And he saw the footsteps of Sayyidina Bilal. Allah Akbar. 
He saw footsteps, falling of footsteps. So he asked Lord Jibreel, that, what is this? He said, Oh, Nabi Akrim Sallallahu these are the footprints of the footsteps of your beloved, your very own beloved Bilal radiallahu ta'ala. He is so beloved to Allah ta'ala that Allah ta'ala has decreed that when Sayyidina Bilal steps on earth, his footsteps and footprints should fall in Jannah. Allah Akbar. The same got happy also. One sahabi of mine is so makbul, so mahbub to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he saw both of these type of things. Then he was taken up, up, up to the kursi, up to the arsh. And then Angel Jibreel said that you have been invited to go even beyond. And I cannot go with you. <laughs> because no creation has ever gone beyond this point. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took Sayyidina Rasulullah up. And Allah knows best. Only Allah ta'ala knows best the totality and entirety of what happened. But one thing that the Prophet shared with us. That he was gifted salah. This is considered, yes, the Prophet knew that salah was a gift. He was gifted salah. And you know that Sayyidina Musa Salaam was there, hmm? leader of Bani Israel. Hmm? If you read Surah Baqarah, you will understand. And this is exactly why Allah Ta'ala has put so much stories of Bani Israel in Surah Baqarah. Because Allah Ta'ala tells them, you were the favored nation, but you did these, 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 these mistakes. That's part of Hidayah for us because now we are the favorite nation. We are Ummat Mustafa. We are the best Khair Ummah. The best Ummah taken out for humanity. So we have to learn, make sure we don't make the same mistakes. And Musa Islam knew the same thing. So, reduction of Salah down to five times prayer. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah came back. Now when he came back, he was more happy. Right? After the sadness of Makkah Makarama, sadness of Taif. Again he started doing down Makkah Makarama. Again they started just not accepting. Ultimately then Allah SWT said, Wahi to Sayyidina Rasulullah that you should migrate. You must go to you and all Sahaba Ikram. All believers must go to Medina Manawara. Alright. But because there was a lot of enmity, Sayyidina Rasulullah decided to go secretly. But he knew he couldn't go alone. It takes 10 days, 16 days to go from Makkah Makarama to Medina Manawara. So he took one companion with him. Allah Ta'ala has mentioned this in Thaniul Ithnain. One companion with him. Who was that? Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq His greatest friend, his greatest companion, his greatest lover, his truest beloved. Allahu Akbar. You know, like people like to ask this question sometimes that if you were stuck on an island in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle and you could only be with one person, huh? who would you want to be with? So Sayyidina Rasulullah was asked this question, hmm? that if you're going to have to go all alone on Hijra and be stuck in the middle of the desert, all alone with but one person, who would you pick? Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, Allah Ta'ala Allah Akbar. So Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sayyidina Abu Bakr, they made Hijra. That's again a long story. Very long story. One thing I want to tell you, it's amazing that the people of Medina Manawara had for generations both the Jews of Medina Manawara and even the Mushrikeen of Medina Manawara had for generations been waiting for the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah Why? Several hundred years before the Prophet there was a ruler of Yemen known as Tubba. Tubba is just a name like the Kaiser, Khusrow. Tubba is the generic name given to the ruler of Yemen. He was a great scholar of Christian scripture and he knew that Sayyidina Rasulullah Khatum and Nabin is going to come to this place called Medina Manawara. 
So he ordered from his own expense that king of Yemen hundreds of years before that a whole series of houses be built in Medina Manora. And he told his people from Yemen that if any of you wish to migrate and settle there and wait for the coming of the last and final prophet and have your progeny and generations wait for him, though I will build the houses for you. So he had built a whole series of humble two-story houses there in Medina Manora. Once Sayyidina Sosa migrated to Medina Manora, when he entered Medina Manora, all of the believers of Medina wanted him to stay with him. He had no home yet. Everyone was lined up, Ya Sosim, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Allah Ta'ala inspired Sayyidina that you let, you let your camel go. And I, Allah Ta'ala, will inspire your camel to stop at that place where you should make your home. So Sayyidina Sosim, he let his camel go. And sure enough, the camel stopped where? At the house of Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, And Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, was living in one of those two-story houses that was built by Tuba of Yemen and that had been inhabited for centuries by his ancestors who had migrated from Yemen to Yathrib only for this reason that one day the last and final prophet and master son will come here. So it shows that Allah also honored the Tuba. So you have examples. Tuba and Najis of Ibn good rulers on one hand, and Abraha and Khusro and Herakl. So examples in, our, in history. Allah is showing us there can be good rulers and there can be bad rulers. Both examples are there. Alright. Then when Sayyidina Susam started staying there, Sayyidina Abu he said, Ya Susam, please, you stay upstairs. It will be khilaf adab for you to be downstairs and me to be upstairs. Sayyidina Sussam, no, my companions saw are going to be meeting me. So it's better if I stay downstairs so that I can meet them. You stay upstairs. Ab Sayyidina Abu Yub al-Sarnath narrates himself, his own story. That okay, that night we stayed upstairs. But I felt it would be wrong for my footprints to be anywhere above where Sayyidina Sussam is. So I had a small room in the back which was like a store, where there was a whole bunch of, you can say, luggage and things. So me and my whole family, we sat in that store closet, and we spent the whole night sitting. We couldn't even lie down. It was so small. We spent the whole night sitting, and then one of my children dropped some water. And at that time, the roofs weren't pakka. So I got worried that the water will drop down and disturb. I quickly took my turban, and I used my turban to sponge up the water. And in the morning then, Sayyidina Sussam must have realized that was difficult. So then he said, Oh, Abu, you, you come downstairs. I'll go upstairs. <laughs> so this was the beginning of the mission of Sayyidina Rasulullah in Medina Manawara. Now, when the Apostle and Sahaba were in Medina Manawara, even then they were extremely poor. Lack of food, lack of clothing. Some Sahaba just had one piece of clothing. Some had two pieces of clothing. Umul Mu'mineen say that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha narrates that now they had their own home, Ghurfa, right next to Masjid She narrates, for three moons, that means three months, for three months we never even had the opportunity to light our stove. There was nothing that we had to cook. For three months at end the stove would not be lit. So then she was asked, what did you eat, O Umul Mu'mineen? She said, we will do, we would suffice an aswadain. The two black things. What does that mean? Water. Water, when you look at a lake, it looks black. Right? When you look in a well, the water looks black. And dates. 
we would just survive on water and dates. This is the mother of the believers, Ummul Mu'mineen. This is the blessed wife of Nabi Akrim Susam. This is Sayyidina Susam himself. So in Medina Manawra, they were faced such poverty. And all of you know then the story of Badr, that they hardly even had any weapons to fend for themselves. They had such little money. They had to go to the battlefield with sticks and branches and stones and anything they could find. Allahu Akbar. Can you imagine? What level of poverty was there? Then all of you know the incident of Badr. The Kufar of Makkah. Now they could have let things stand. Okay, look, you've left our city. No. They said, it's not enough that you left our city. We want to wipe out Islam. Such an aggressive, hostile, violent nature. So they started preparing an army. And then they sent that army against Sayyidina Rasulullah and Sahaba Ikram and Mu'mini. And all of you know in Badr, Allah Ta'ala sent the angels. It's in Quran, Azim al And in fact, Mufassirin say that the angels of Badr, once they came down to earth, they never went back. They're still here. That in case anyone brings the Iman of the people of Badr, and anyone brings the Iman of the Sahaba of Badr, they're here on duty again to help defend the Mu'mineen against the hostility and aggression of anyone on earth. Allahu Akbar. We haven't brought that level of Iman yet. Allahu Akbar. Maybe there are some places in the world where some people have that level of Iman and they're being helped by those very same angels of Badr. Khair, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted victory to the believers in the battle of Badr, but it's one after the other, then battle of Uhud, then battle Khandar, <coughs> then Salah of Hudaybiyah, a very long story. We can't cover all of Syria in one day. Then battles with the Jewish tribes, Banu Kureza, Khaybar. Series of events. One after the other after the other. Struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle after struggle. Finally then, Allah SWT inspired Sayyidina Rasulullah that now it's time for you to go back and reclaim Makkah Mukarramah. After all of these struggles in Medina Manawara, very long story. Finally, it's time for you to go back and reclaim Makkah Makarama, that is known as Fatimakkah. And once Sayyidina Sussam rode into Makkah Makarama, he didn't come as a conqueror, he didn't come with revenge. He bent down as low as he could in his saddle and he said, Alhamdulillahi Wahda. All praises to Allah Ta'ala, that one Allah Ta'ala, Nasra Abda. That one Allah Ta'ala has helped his slave. Not even Nasara Rasula. He used to like to refer to himself as Abd, as Fakir, Al Abdul Fakir, as the servant and slave of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. He knew obviously he was a Nabi, he was Rasul. But he said, Alhamdulillahi Wahda, Nasara Abda. And then he entered Makkah Mukarramah. And Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala had put so much ra'ub, so much awe of the Sahaba in the heart of those people. It was entirely, entirely a bloodless entry. Bloodless regaining of Makkah Mukarramah, of their own city, their own homes, and most of all their beloved Kaaba. But now, some of the mushrikeen who later would accept Islam, they narrate that we were all holed up in our homes. We were thinking that it's finished for us. Now the revenge will come. Because that was the Arab mentality at that time. These were tribes of blood feuds and revenge and vengeance. So they were waiting. And they kept waiting, kept waiting. No sahaba came knocking on their door. No soldiers came breaking through their homes. They kept waiting, waiting, waiting. The night was passing. So they sent a few scouts. 
to find out where is this army of Sahaba? Why haven't they come and attacked us yet in our homes? So the scouts went and said that oh, all these Sahaba are in Baytullah. All of them are busy doing tawaf and making dua to Allah Ta'ala. They came for Kaaba, they didn't come for you. They came for Ibadah, they didn't come for Intikam. Then after Sahaba Ikram and Sayyidina Rasul made tawaf and enjoyed, then Sayyidina Rasul sent Sahaba out and said, you make elan, you announce and you proclaim to all of the kuffar and mushrikeen and enemies of Islam in Makkah Makarama that I, Sayyidina Rasulullah forgive all of them today. I grant them complete amnesty, no revenge, no vengeance, no hostilities, nothing. Never in the entire history of humanity, no historian in the world can show an event like this. Unparalleled before and unparalleled since. Unprecedented before, never to be repeated since. Abna Mushrikin and Makkah surprised. Then Sayyidina Sum get another offer. And any of you who would like to now accept Iman, you're more than welcome to do so. From Allah Akbar, some major, major disbelievers, the enemies started accepting Islam. Hind accepted Islam. That woman who had ordered the assassination of the beloved uncle, Sayyidina Hamzar Badilatana, beloved uncle of the Prophet, she came and accepted Imam. Washi, that assassin himself, he came and accepted Imam. Allah Akbar. The son of Abu Jahl. Ikrama bin, bin, bin Abijal, a great general and warrior who had made many sahabashid, he came and accepted Islam. Allah Akbar. Because all along they knew he was true. All along they knew he was true. And when they were confronted with his mercy, they saw a new model of the world. That this is another model. The model of mercy, the model of gentleness, the model of kindness. That he is not angry with us, taking any revenge from us. So their heart eventually submitted and they accepted Iman. Now after Fatih Makkah, our uncle maybe would think that now Sayyidina Rasulullah will reside in Makkah Makarramah. No. Sayyidina Rasulullah He was very loyal. He told the people of Medina Munara, don't worry. <laughs> even though I'm doing Fatih Makkah, even though we're going back to our homes, even though that's my home, even though Kaaba Baitullah is there, I honor your sacrifice for me. I honor your invitation to me. You give me a home and refuge when no one would, even after Fatah Makkah, I will make Medina Munawra my home. So Simpson went back to Medina Munawra. And that remained the capital, the headquarters, the home, the center of the rest of the two years of Sayyidina Sum's life. We call it Makidor because it's post Fatah Makkah. But Sayyidina Sum went back and lived in Medina Munawra. Allah such a loyal Nabi. Such a loyal Nabi. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, when then Sayyidina Sum went back to Medina Manawra, then the next year it came time for Hajj. It came time for the season of Hajj. Now Sayyidina Sum's practice was that in Ramadan he would sit in Itikaf. He would sit in Itikaf. And this year in Ramadan he told Umul Mu'mideen Sayyidina Aisha that, oh Aisha, every year in Itikaf, Angel Jibreel comes and recites Quran to me once and I recite it to him once. This year, something unusual has happened. This year, Angel Jibreel has recited Quran to me twice and asked, I recited to him twice. I think maybe my time on this earth is coming to an end. 
She narrates that the Prophet told her this. So then after the Eid, in the month of Shawwal, Sayyidina announced to all Sahaba that we are all going to go for Hajj. Everybody should make preparations for Hajj. So then all Sahaba made preparations for Hajj. And then again they went to Makkah But this time they went as Bujjaj in a state of Ihram. Hmm? Then when they went, then Sayyidina Sayyidina first they went straight to Kaaba. And Sayyidina Sayyidina made a long dua upon seeing the Kaaba. And then they made Tawaf, and then they made Sa'i. Then, then they camped in tents. The people of Makkah, they wanted the Prophet to stay with them. He said, no, I will stay in the tents. And then on the 8th, he went to Mina. And then the 9th, he went to Arafah. And on that year, on Yawm al-Arafah, Sayyidina gave that famous khutbah, known as the khutbah of Hajjat al-Wida. The last and final sermon of the last and final farewell pilgrimage. That is something that everyone should read. The very end of that, Sayyidina asked a question. He said, all my companions, have I truly delivered the entire message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you? All sahaba replied in unison, all together, Allahumma na'am. That, oh Allah, yes, we say, yes, we attest. That, oh Allah, our beloved messenger, sallallahu has conveyed entirely the message and mission to us. Then what happened? <coughs> Now, this is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end. After this Hajj, then they went back to Medina Manorah. And this incident is 100% historians, Islamic historians agree that this took place on a Monday and on the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal and this cor- and, and the corresponds to uh, 8th of June in the year 632. That what happened, Sayyidina Rasulullah had for a few days been unwell with a high fever and therefore he wasn't coming even to the masjid to pray. And he had appointed and deputed Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu to be the imam in his place. But then the azan took place and Sayyidina heard the azan, Amma Aisha narrates, that all of a sudden Sayyidina his spirits went high and he said, take me to the masjid. So then there were few Sahaba, and I think Sayyidina Huzaifa, one or two Sahaba who were in his khidmah, he went on their Sahara, leaning on them, into the masjid. Prayer had already started. But when Sahaba, some Sahaba, out of their peripheral vision, they saw Sayyidina coming, so it caused a bit of a stir. Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq was leading prayer, but he realized that only one thing in the world could distract Sahaba from Salah. Only one thing in the world could distract them. It must be that Sayyidina Rasulullah has come out. So Sayyidina Bakr moved back, thinking that the Prophet would take his place of being Imam. Sayyidina Rasulullah called out that, Ya Abu Bakr, you stay where you are. You keep leading. So Sayyidina Bakr stayed where he was. Sayyidina Rasulullah came and he prayed seated on the right side of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. Then when he prayed, then all the Sahaba were so happy. That Sayyidina Rasulullah had come back into the masjid and after salah they were gazing at him, greeting upon him, greeting him with such joy. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah went back. But when he went, he went back into his mudra and he lay down in the blessed lap of Ummul Mu'mineen, Sayyidatana Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. 
That Prophet who began his journey of Nabuwa being clasped and consoled by the breast of Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidatana Khadija to Kubra radiallahu It began with a woman. It's going to end with a woman. He's going to depart from this world end his journey of Nabuwat once again in the lab but this time of his blessed wife Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidatana Aisha radiallahu anha and Umm Mu'mineen Sayyidatana Aisha she narrates the sin of some she laid down in my lap and then he started breathing heavily and then he became unconscious and it lasted for one hour and I thought he had passed away and then again he opened his eyes and he said, O oh Aisha, no prophet is ever taken away from this earth until he is given a choice until Allah Ta'ala shows him his maqam in Jannah and then Allah Ta'ala asks that oh my beloved prophet would you now like to leave this world and oh Aisha I've been shown my maqam and oh Aisha I've been told by Allah Ta'ala that my mission and message has been fulfilled and completed so now I have chosen to go to my resting place in Jannah and saying that Sayyidina Sallallahu he made dua and he started reciting and Amma Aisha recites that he rec- recited this beautiful verse end of, which is the last words he said when passing away that give great hope to us what did he recite? That and those whom Allah Ta'ala has sent his inamat, his blessings they are from the Nabiyeen, they are from Siddiqeen, they are from Shuhada, and they are from Salihin. And indeed, these are the best companions that one would want to be with. And then he called out, Ya Allah, my companions. And Allah Ta'ala took his soul over. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Means that even the maqam, that Sayyidina Sussam maqam he saw for himself in Jannah, was not that he was alone in his own level of Jannah, no. But in his Jannah, he was with the Nabiyeen and Siddiqeen, and Shuhada, and Salihin. So me and you, we can never be Nabiyin, but we can make our effort in our life if we can make ourselves at least from Salihin, or from the Shuhada, or from the Siddiqeen, then we know from the way Sayyidina Rasulullah passed away from this world that he is with them. And so we should also try in this life to join ourselves with the Salihin, join ourselves with the Siddiqeen, so that in the next life, we will be joined with those same Salihin and same Siddiqeen, who will be joined with the Nabiin and joined with Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. So we gather here today to remember him and to remember his life, but to fall in love with him and to adopt his life and to give up our lifestyle to live his lifestyle, to give up our personality, to try to get his personality, to give up our character, to try to get his character. That's what it means to accept somebody as a Nabi. That's what it means to have an Ummati Nabi relationship. May Allah subhanahu wa make each and every one of us a sincere Ummati of that most sincere and greatest Nabi. Wa akhirul da'wana. And alhamdulillah.